Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the True Blue Crime Investigates podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I will be your host for this episode. Today's episode is one of the strangest missing person slash homicide cases I've ever researched. The case has been the focus of an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and several podcasts. We'll cover the disappearance and discovery of Judy Smith and explore some theories surrounding the case. But first, let's cover the business side of things. If you'd like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. And if you'd like to email the host directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. If you can, please support the show via Patreon or PayPal. Links to make donations are on the website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. Any donation level helps, and it'll help ensure I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout out in a future podcast, a thank you message from the host, and some cool True Blue Crime merch. For no cost whatsoever, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. Thanks so much. Without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime Investigates. As mentioned before, this episode covers the strange disappearance and murder of a middle-aged woman named Judy Smith. Her body was discovered 600 miles from her last known location with no indication how she got to her final resting place. We'll break down the days leading up to her disappearance, the investigation, the discovery of her body, and what the evidence suggests may have happened. Judy Smith was born Judy Eldridge on December 15, 1946 in Massachusetts. She was divorced with two children when she met Jeffrey Smith while working as a nurse. She was a home healthcare nurse and cared for Jeffrey's father during the mid-1980s while he recovered from throat surgery. Judy was known to be smart and extremely caring, and Jeffrey, a divorced father and lawyer, took notice of her unique level of compassion, and the two began dating shortly after she finished caring for his father. After a long relationship, they married in September of 1996, and in April of 1997, Judy agreed to accompany Jeffrey on a work trip to Philadelphia. Jeffrey's job as a lawyer was legal representation for an organization that dealt with pharmaceutical research, and the conference ran from April 9th through April 11th. It was said the couple had plans to head down to New Jersey to visit some friends after the conference was over. The trip started off a little rocky when Judy realized she forgot her driver's license after arriving at Logan International Airport in Boston. The requirement to present valid ID with your boarding pass was a new requirement handed down by the FAA in the previous 18 months. So Judy was unable to join Jeffrey until she went home and got her license. Her mistake meant that she had to take a later flight, but did so and met back up with her husband in the lobby of their hotel in Philadelphia after his first day of the conference. They spent the evening together in the hotel and the next morning Jeffrey woke up early to get breakfast before attending the conference. Judy slept in as she was not planning on attending the conference, but did have plans to sightsee and head to historic places such as Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. After eating breakfast, Jeffrey returned to the room and found Judy awake in bed. They made plans to meet up later that evening for a cocktail party that was part of the conference. Jeffrey then headed off to the conference while Judy was free to do what she wanted for the entire day. Jeffrey wrapped up his conference duties late in the afternoon and returned to the hotel room expecting to see Judy getting ready for the cocktail party. He found the room instead was empty and assumed Judy may have gone down to the party early and they just missed each other in the elevators or hallways. He changed into his cocktail party attire and headed downstairs to look for his wife. Judy was nowhere in sight at the cocktail party and Jeffrey started to grow concerned. 
He informed hotel staff of his missing wife, and they began calling local hospitals in case she had been admitted due to some form of medical emergency, or in the case she had become involved in someone else's medical emergency and ended up assisting at a local hospital. This is because she took her job as a nurse very seriously, and during a flight the year before, she had volunteered to help a sick passenger during and after the flight, which caused her travel to become seriously delayed. Jeffrey thought the same thing could have happened, and she had just not had time to inform him. And we'll take a quick break here and, and talk about this day so far. We're going to come back to that forgotten driver's license. It's the, the basis for a lot of theories about what is going to happen to Judy. And we'll also discuss, again, as with the other podcasts and my other episodes, when I have to go back in history, and I understand this is only 1997, but when I have to go back into history, we have to talk about what's kind of going on at this time period. The internet is just hitting households. Most people that had internet at this point, it was dial-up internet. And cell phones were starting to exist. It was more common that people had things like pagers. And so a lot of this story would be a lot easier to investigate in 2007, even 10 years later. But this is 1997, so we're limited to the technology at the time. Judy's not going to have a cell phone, so Jeffrey can't call her. They're in a foreign city to them. Judy had never been in Philadelphia before, so if she did, while out sightseeing, come across someone with some type of a medical emergency and then decided to ride with the ambulance as the nurse to the hospital and then ended up in some hospital and she didn't quite know how to get back to the hotel. Again, all of that could account for the fact that she's not back to the hotel or she herself could have had some type of a medical issue and ended up in a hospital in a foreign city. She may not remember the name of the hotel they were staying at or where the conference was or the medical emergency Let's say she gets hit by a car or a bus. If she's in a coma, of course, they're not going to have a way to know that Jeffrey's at this conference. So there's just like some of the other missing persons I covered, especially in the True Blue Crime podcast. One of the first calls that people are going to make when somebody goes missing is hospitals. And then the next thing is jails, especially if the person has some type of a criminal record or a substance abuse issue. So the hotel's going to start calling all these hospitals, see if Judy could potentially be there, but the calls to the hospitals failed to locate her, and Jeffrey left the cocktail party, and he paid a taxi driver to follow Judy's proposed route of sightseeing to see if she somehow had gotten stranded somewhere and couldn't make it back to the hotel. He also called Judy's children to see if they had heard from her and had them check the home answering machine to see if she had left any messages. And... She was going to take this public transportation around Philadelphia. The The Metro bus for Philadelphia will stop at all of these famous sites, Liberty Bell, Independence Hall. So with, with a bus pass, she can get around the city pretty easily. But Jeffrey was worried that maybe she got to one of these sites and missed the bus or couldn't figure out which bus to take to get back to the hotel. So this is why he pays this taxi driver basically the does what they do in the movies like hey follow that bus and just stop at all the stops that the bus stops at and get out to look to see if his wife's at any of these stops and then at the same time he's also called home because again no cell phones or at least they don't have one that was mentioned in the research so if somehow judy was stranded couldn't remember the name of the hotel so she couldn't get the number for the hotel 
Uh, maybe she called home and left a message on the answering machine about where she was at or asking for help in some way. But when all of this failed to locate Judy, Jeffrey had no choice but to go to the Philadelphia police to report her missing. By the time he was able to get to the police station, it was midnight, and he tried to report her missing, but he was told by officers that he needed to wait until the morning as it hadn't been 24 hours since she was last seen. And again, this is something that has changed pretty much across the country. All police departments will take missing persons reports immediately based on many different situations where people have been reported missing and then have been either victims of crime or have been in some type of a medical emergency situation. And in order for dispatch centers to ping a endangered missing person cell phone, oftentimes a report or case number is required for the cell phone companies and for the dispatch center. So in order to locate these people and to do so in a efficient and potentially life-saving manner, police are going to take these missing persons reports within those first 24 hours. But this is 1997. There's still this built-in delay. A lot of departments, when it's a missing adult, will tell somebody they have to be missing for 24 hours. And that's what Jeffrey's getting from the police department. And there's something in the research about one of the detectives at the station had told Jeffrey if he really pushed it, he could maybe take the missing persons report the following morning, which to me didn't make a lot of sense because the 24 hours of missing did begin the next morning. So it made it seem as if the detective was saying that because they weren't supposed to meet up till 6 p.m., technically she wasn't missing until 6 p.m. So he would have to wait until 6 p.m. to report her as, as actually missing at that point, which because no one had actually verified seeing her since Jeffrey left for this conference, the 24 hours should have began in the morning that Jeffrey walked out of that hotel room, but eventually that's not going to matter as we're going to see. Frustrated, Jeffrey returned to the hotel and claimed to have not slept all night, hoping Judy would show up, and by morning he was exhausted and out of options. It just so happened that the mayor of Philadelphia and a politician were attending the conference that following morning, and Jeffrey introduced himself and advised the mayor of his wife's disappearance and the lack of action by the Philadelphia PD. His conversation paid off as when he arrived at the same station later that day to report Judy missing, he was this time met by two detectives who appeared to take the report very seriously and mentioned the report was going to be reviewed by the police commissioner. So during my time as a police officer, this happened every once in a while where it was a, a good friend of the mayor, a good friend of the chief, and you would get some type of a mention from a supervisor about this report's going to be looked at very closely. I don't like it. I don't like that some people get preferential treatment over others. Now, in this case, really, it wasn't as much preferential treatment. It was at the time, but this is how policing should have been done all along. So I'm not saying that they went completely out of their way. They, they basically just took this missing persons report without any kickback from the detectives. So that's really what should have been done anyway. It's just sad that it took talking to the mayor and a politician in order for the police to actually do their job at this point. And that, again, that's something that should have happened all along. It's, it's not as if they assigned an entire task force to this case because he talked to the mayor. The mayor just basically made sure that the police were actually going to do their job, which again, I said, I don't think it's fair that somebody who didn't talk to the mayor wasn't going to get that treatment because they should have. But at the same time, at least 
this got the ball rolling in terms of trying to figure out what happened to Judy. But any optimism waned quickly as it became apparent in the following months that Philadelphia PD was looking at only one option to explain Judy's disappearance, and that was that Jeffrey did it. Because Judy's name wasn't on the hotel room registry, she was never required to check in. Investigators did find a staff member who recalled seeing Jeffrey with a woman who looked like Judy, but this eyewitness statement was not given a lot of credibility. And I think they talked to another concierge at the hotel that remembered Judy, or at least a woman looking like Judy, coming down and asking for directions to the bus station, something along those lines. So there were a couple eyewitnesses at the hotel, but we have to remember Judy is just there basically tagging along with Jeffrey, not even attending the conference. And she gets in late because of this forgotten ID. So she's at the hotel for literally one evening, coming in late and then leaving the next morning. So the ability for staff to actually eyewitness her is pretty limited. It's not as if Jeffrey was claiming she stayed there for a week. And because she hadn't attended this cocktail party, she hadn't attended anything in the conference itself. So there wasn't going to be a chance for a lot of people to to see Judy there. And then when investigators searched the hotel room for any evidence or indications of where Judy might have gone, they noticed Judy's clothes appeared to be unworn and she didn't bring much in the way of cosmetics. But Judy's own daughter would say this was common practice for her mother. And I think the exact comments were it was a female detective and she noticed all of the clothing that was in the room that belonged to Judy appeared to be unworn, which didn't make sense to detectives because she had traveled the day before in clothing on an airplane. And so they had to surmise that she would have woken up the next day and decided to put on that same exact clothing to head out to do her sightseeing. And this didn't make sense to them, but at the same time, her daughter said this was common practice. Her mother was not one to have a whole lot of different outfits, and she would have been comfortable just going out and sightseeing in the clothes she wore the day before. And at this point, the investigators developed two theories. One was based on homicides against women, that most of them are domestic in nature, and the couple had been married only eight months, so the most likely suspect was Jeffrey. The other theory was that Judy had a midlife crisis and left on her own to start a new life. This flew in the face of everything that those closest to Judy said, but without a body, investigators were at a loss as to what could have happened. And this is just the case in a lot of these missing persons when somebody just appears to, to vanish off the face of the earth. First, of course, you're going to look at those closest. Who was the last person to see Judy alive, which at this point we know of is Jeffrey. And depending on if you believe it or not, the hotel concierge that pointed her towards the bus station. And then I think over the course of the next month, and we're going to talk about it here, there were a lot of sightings in the days following her disappearance around the Philadelphia area, and including a bus driver that believes that he picked up Judy and dropped her off. And so the last person to see her alive for sure was Jeffrey, but there are reports that other people might have seen her after that morning but investigators again they're they're still looking pretty closely at the person closest to her which is jeffrey and suspicion turned stronger towards jeffrey when he refused to take a polygraph by the time philadelphia pd asked him to do so he knew he was the one and only suspect in the case 
And remember, he's a lawyer, so he would understand that a polygraph does little to help the person taking it, and while it can't be used in court, the results can push an investigation in a certain direction, even the wrong one. He claims he agreed to take a polygraph, but only if it was administered by the FBI. And if he passed, the FBI would need to offer their assistance on the case. This caused various issues as the FBI couldn't assist on the case as there was no evidence at this time that a crime had occurred that gave them any jurisdiction. The investigators would say that Jeffrey knew this, so he was basically refusing the polygraph. They also claimed they offered to have the Massachusetts State Police conduct the polygraph, and he flat out refused. And again, Jeffrey's a lawyer. He's going to understand that polygraphs, because they're subjective in nature, the examiner themselves has to make certain interpretations of what the polygraph is telling them as to whether or not the person is telling the truth or not. In fact, it's not even really considered a lie detector test. It's a deception detector test, and it's looking for indicators of deception when somebody is answering uh, questions. And some people are just nervous people in general, and so they can either get inconclusive or deceptive results even when they're innocent. And again, those results cannot be used in a court of law, but if somehow the polygraph returns an inconclusive or even maybe a deceptive response on Jeffrey's polygraph, he knows the tunnel vision is going to get even more narrow on him as a suspect. Meanwhile, he, he honestly probably feels, even if he passes this polygraph, the investigators are still going to just kind of say, well, he's, he's a lawyer, he somehow knows how to beat a polygraph, and therefore he's still our main suspect. So it really doesn't do him any good to take the polygraph, and he knows this, and this is likely why he refused, but at the same time, he's a lawyer, so he's trying to make it look like he's not refusing, even though he basically is. And despite being the main suspect in her disappearance, Jeffrey hired two private investigators to search for Judy and paid to have missing person flyers sent to hundreds of hospitals around the country. Media coverage of the event led to several reported sightings, some more credible than others. It was reported that a woman matching Judy's description stayed in various areas in and around Philadelphia in the days after she was reported missing. Most of these reports described her as having severe mental health issues, and she was seen talking in tongues and sharing insane thoughts and ideas with strangers. But a lot of these reports are believed to be a misidentification of a well-known homeless woman who did have mental problems and bore a striking resemblance to Judy. It was reported that Judy's son thought he actually saw his mother when he first saw this homeless woman on the streets of Philadelphia, and it was only upon closer inspection that he realized it wasn't his mother. However, many members of the homeless community that were interviewed disagreed and said they knew the woman who was misidentified as Judy and they had seen that woman several times. They saw a woman that was actually Judy sleeping on the streets of the Philadelphia after she was reported missing. So this is where things get very confusing. You have this homeless woman with known mental health issues who has a resemblance to Judy, so much so that her own son, when he looks across the street and sees this woman, says, that's my mom, that's Judy over there. And it's only as he gets closer to her that her own son is able to say, okay, that's, that's not my mom. Looks a lot like her, but it's not my mom. So if you can imagine complete strangers looking at a photo of Judy and looking at this homeless woman are going to say, 
I think I saw that missing woman. So to this day, there's arguments as to whether there was just one woman who happened to bear a resemblance to Judy, who's this known homeless woman, or whether this there was that woman, but on top of it, Judy was also appearing to be homeless at this time, and some of the misidentifications were not mistakes and were actually people seeing Judy. So again, it gets a little confusing, and to this day, there are people who will swear that they saw Judy because they know what this other woman looks like. And there's other people who believe that all the sightings of this woman who looked like Judy were misidentifications. However, more credible reports came from New Jersey, just across the river, where a woman matching Judy's description and even wearing a distinctive red backpack was seen shopping the day she was reported missing. This woman appeared to be having cognitive issues and was trying to buy something for her daughter, but complained her daughter didn't like anything that she bought for her. Judy's daughter affirmed that this was something her mother often said and believed this sighting to be accurate. The witness said the woman believed to be Judy tried to get an adult woman to leave with her, claiming it was her daughter. This further confirmed the woman seemed to be having cognitive issues. Despite several sightings in and around Philadelphia, the dates never extended far past the date she was reported missing, and no newer sightings came in during the months following her disappearance. It was as if Judy had suffered a mental breakdown, wandered the area in and around Philadelphia, and then disappeared into thin air. Then, almost five months of the day she went missing, deer hunters located the body of Judy Smith. On September 7, 1997, a father and son duo were looking for deer in the area of North Carolina's Pisgah National Forest when they stumbled across what they believed to be human bones. The bones were not far from the Stony Fork picnic area, 10 miles outside of the town of Asheville, North Carolina. They had been scattered by scavengers, but formed a circle around a shallow grave that was found to contain the majority of the remains of a woman and her tattered clothing. The clandestine grave was marked as a crime scene, and investigators located as many of the bones as they could, as well as possible personal items that were in and around the shallow impression. After the body was removed from the site, a medical examiner determined the woman to be between 40 and 55 and had severe arthritis in her left knee. She had extensive dental work done, and her death was ruled a homicide after knife marks left in her clothing indicate she had been fatally stabbed. At a nearby hospital, a doctor remembered the missing person flyer Jeffrey had sent out to the hospitals and thought the remains might belong to Judy Smith. The doctor notified Philadelphia police, and investigators reached out to Asheville investigators after getting Judy's dental records from Jeffrey. The remains were then positively identified as Judy Smith. The missing person's case had now become a homicide, but investigators had the challenge of determining how and why Judy had ended up in North Carolina after leaving Philadelphia. She was also wearing different clothing from what she was known to have been wearing in Philadelphia, and her clothing was consistent with clothing worn to hike in North Carolina in April. She was wearing jeans, hiking boots, and thermal underwear when she was killed, and a nearby backpack contained winter clothing. She had cash on her body, and more cash was found in a shirt buried nearby. A total of $167 was recovered from the scene, and investigators ruled out robbery as a motive for the crime. Local investigators in North Carolina started asking around the area to find any witnesses that may have seen Judy back in April. Several store employees reported Judy talking to them, and she seemed alert and not confused. 
They said she mentioned her husband was a lawyer in Boston and he was attending a conference in Philadelphia and she had decided to enjoy the Asheville area while he was at the conference. A local campground owner stated Judy drove up in a gray sedan and asked if she could just sleep in her car in the campground's parking lot. She was told no and she left the campground and from there it appeared she drove to a local deli and the owner remembered her in a gray sedan and that she bought $30 worth of sandwiches and a toy truck. These credible sightings just added to the mystery of what happened to Judy Smith. Jeffrey was not considered a suspect as he was in Philadelphia at the conference when she went missing, and his whereabouts and actions on the days she went missing are documented and accounted for. Jeffrey passed away in 2005 and had many health issues due to his morbid obesity, which investigators believe would have made it near impossible for him to carry Judy's body through the woods and up the hill to where the body was buried. The monumental effort it would have taken anyone to carry Judy's body to the burial site led investigators to believe Judy met her fate close to the site her remains were found, but this still didn't explain why she was in North Carolina at the time. Some friends reported there had been issues in the short marriage between Judy and Jeffrey, and Judy may have been looking for an opportunity for some time away. But the sightings of her in Philadelphia contradict that she didn't join Jeffrey, and there was record of her flying to Philadelphia. So we'll dive into some theories here, kind of talk a little bit more about what investigators found, and uh, I'll also mention a lot of the stuff that isn't in the research that I'd like to know, but I'm basing my theories off what is out there. Investigators believe she arrived in North Carolina of her own free will. This is backed up by the two witnesses in the Asheville area seeing her driving alone. So there are really only three theories that make any sense. One is the marriage escape theory. It's possible Judy and Jeffrey had an argument or disagreement the morning she disappeared. Jeffrey, being a lawyer, would have known that if anything happened to Judy, he'd be looked at closely and admitting to a fight before she disappeared was going to make him an even stronger suspect. She may not have indicated she was going to get some fresh air, but maybe after a disagreement she changed her plans and decided to get away from the hustle of the city and enjoy some peace and quiet in the woods of North Carolina where it would be warmer and easier to spend time in nature. This is, again, one of the viable theories out there. As one of her friends mentioned that there was marital problems, now granted that's just one friend, the majority of the family said there weren't marital issues, but it's it's a difficult theory because it's not as if she just decided to get her own hotel room in the Philadelphia area just to get some space and then reconcile with Jeffrey. Where her body is found is 600 miles away from Philadelphia. And yes, it's going to be warmer in North Carolina in April than it's going to be in Philadelphia. So if her plan is to get out into nature, it makes more sense that she's going to head south to a warmer location. But again, we don't know how she got there. She obviously has this gray sedan. There's a lot of questions about this car. Did she rent it? Did she own a gray sedan? Did somebody she know own a gray sedan? And then again, we'll, we'll dive a little bit more into that after we cover the three theories, because I think some of it's going to take comparing the more likely, less likely scenarios between each of the theories. Another theory would be a mental breakdown of sorts, possibly even some form of early dementia, which would explain her forgetting her driver's license for the flight 
and once in the unfamiliar settings of a city just like Philadelphia, she may have lost touch with reality as described by several of the witnesses, including the one in New Jersey. People with dementia do have periods where they are lucid, and she may have convinced herself that some of what she was doing was real and planned, a form of justified escape where she knows she was married but believes she's on her own vacation while Jeffrey was at the conference. And this is backed up by a lot of people who have dementia at varying degrees. They will sometimes get into a vehicle and drive and they will end up 600 miles away from where they started. And this is depending on how severe the dementia is, they can believe that they're in a completely different time period in their life. They can be visiting someone uh, that doesn't even live anymore. We had a lot of mental health issues with people with dementia when I was a police officer and these would get called in by family members that their father or mother was missing and this is when they would go to the grocery store and one little thing on the way to the grocery store changed their entire behavior for the day and the next thing I know they are trying to get into a house that they lived in 40 years ago several hundred miles away from from this grocery store and there's other times where they believe that their adult children are still babies uh, they go their brain goes back in time to when they were a mother or father of little children and that may explain her buying the toy truck at the at the deli where she does have a adult son and she may have thought that her adult son was really a child when she was doing that shopping and she was going to bring home this souvenir it's very common for parents who are on vacation that have little children to buy these souvenirs, toys, gifts when you come back home. So again, there's there's some indicators there and the fact that she thought this woman while she was shopping was her daughter, try to convince her to come with her. If that really was Judy, that would kind of indicate that she's having some type of, of dementia or, or at least some issues dealing with reality at that point. So it, it could be something where originally Jeffrey was going to go on this trip to Philadelphia to this work conference and Judy had made plans to go to North Carolina while he's at this conference and go for this hike. And the other thing a lot of people said too is it didn't make sense that she was out hiking because she had this arthritic knee. She wasn't in the best of health, but that to me maybe again points towards her losing touch with reality maybe thinking that she was younger maybe not recognizing in her brain that she had this this arthritic knee and maybe as a young adult she had hiked in the north carolina area before and so she was going to go back and do this again because that's what she did so a lot of this makes sense to me as some type of a a form of dementia maybe early onset situation going on where she's starting to have brain fog issues and what's difficult for me is the lack of evidence that tracks how she obtained her money how she obtained this vehicle but it would explain again the the forgetting of the driver's license the ending up 600 miles away for no real apparent reason that we can understand because in her brain it's not operating within the realms of reality so that's another option and the final theory is it's going back to the marriage break but instead of a break from the marriage she's she's meeting up with someone for an affair 
Her family recalled her having a patient she cared for that lived roughly in the area, and she met Jeffrey through her work. It was reported that she even flew to Thailand to visit a patient, so clearly she formed strong emotional connections through her work, so it's possible she needed a break and found a way to travel to North Carolina. And there were rumors that Jeffrey was controlling and made her sign a prenup, and maybe her forgetting the ID led to a fight that led to her distancing and deciding she wanted a chance to leave. And again, this also falls into the theory that she may have had plans to go to North Carolina before the conference, but Jeffrey was jealous or controlling and wanted her to come with him instead. And after their fight, she chose to go back to plan A without telling him. And there's other theories that weave in and out of these theories to include she purposely forgot her driver's license that day at the airport so she could go back home and pack a entire second suitcase that Jeffrey wouldn't know about, kind of what people refer to as the escape suitcase, because when she's found in North Carolina, she's wearing clothing that has nothing to do with the conference in Philadelphia. She either had to purchase this outdoor clothing after leaving Philadelphia on her way to North Carolina, or she had to have it pre-packed. So a lot of people believe that this forgetting the driver's license was just a reason for her to miss the flight with Jeffrey. But she still ends up flying to Philadelphia, so it's not as if she used it as an opportunity to not go to the conference altogether. If that had happened, if there was no indication she ever actually flew on a plane to Philadelphia, then I think there would be a lot more speculation about her taking this marital break and heading to North Carolina without Jeffrey knowing it. The fact that she went to the conference and disappeared from there, that's where I believe that it was is either something that happened that night in the hotel or the following morning that caused her to want a mental break, or she had some form of dementia. And a lot of people looked at Jeffrey's behavior after she went missing as that of a loving and concerned husband, but you can also look at it to a certain degree as the act of a controlling husband that felt like he was losing his wife and, it, and i guess it goes either way but he's he's willing to pay for two private investigators to try to find his wife to me that's kind of behavior that somebody who believes their wife is having an affair would do is hire a private investigator again i'm not saying that this points towards anything other than the chance that maybe he did have this controlling personality he sends all these flyers out to the hospitals. And again, all of this can be viewed in one of two lights. Either he is the most loving, concerned husband in the history of the world, and that very well could be true, or he is an extremely controlling husband that wants to know what his wife is doing at all times. And if it's option B, there's a chance, again, that he drove her to the point of she needs to get away. So those two theories, I think, have the most credence. I just don't know if the trip to North Carolina was part of a romantic getaway with somebody else or if it was a mental break where her brain fog got so bad that she ends up in North Carolina on a trip she thinks she's supposed to be on while Jeffrey's at this conference. And all of these theories, again, are just based on speculation as a lot of evidence is not available for this case. Credit cards weren't as popular at the time, so cash was used more often. And there are no reports about the couple's bank accounts or activities, so could Judy have withdrawn cash? 
based on the fact that Jeffrey wanted a prenup, did they have a joint account or did they have separate accounts? So she could have stocked up cash from her work just in case she needed it for a trip like this. And then, as I mentioned before, what happened to the gray sedan she was seen driving? Was this linked to anybody? Is there a rental contract out there for this gray sedan? What would have happened to this gray sedan? Because clearly her body is found in this picnic area. Maybe it was somebody else's car that she borrowed, which would then lead credence to the romantic escape thing. Because this, if this gray sedan's not parked in this picnic area or at a trailhead, from one of these hiking trails then somebody else had to have removed the vehicle after she was killed so again there's there's a lot of stuff missing from this investigation that to me would give a lot more information in order to to provide more strength to one of these theories but i do have to say ultimately her reasons for being in north carolina are unknown but th- that that's it's why it's so important because i think those would explain why she was killed And as we don't know why for sure she was there, we do need to look at her murder for some clues as well. The clothes she was wearing suggest she was actively hiking the trail, or at least trying to. The backpack found by her and a pair of sunglasses near her body are believed to not belong to her and indicated she likely ran into another person along the trail and that person killed her. The area she was killed, despite being near a picnic area, is very remote. A lone woman with mobility issues would make an easy target for a killer. And since robbery wasn't a motive and there was no report of sexual assault, the killing would likely be a killing for pleasure, which is usually the work of a sociopathic serial killer. Ten years after the discovery of Judy's remains, another hiker along the same trail located a body of a missing elderly woman not far from where Judy had been killed. A known serial killer, Gary Hilton, was later convicted for killing that woman and her husband in the same section of trail Judy was found. Gary was the same age as Judy and wasn't linked to the first of his killings until he was 60 years old. Criminal experts believe it's highly unlikely he started killing at such a late age and likely had killed before this first convicted crime. Given the similar location, victim type, and method of corpse disposal, investigators believe Gary is a strong suspect in the death of Judy. However, it doesn't have to be Gary, as any killer along the trail could have taken the opportunity to kill a lone female in such a remote location. It's also possible she could have been killed by someone she went down to North Carolina to meet. And again, there's so many questions. If you could answer why she's in North Carolina, I think that's going to put a lot more believability into a specific theory about how she was killed as well. And when I say that, I mean, if you can prove that she was going down there to meet somebody, there's a higher probability that because that's likely the car that she was seen in and that car is now missing, it's more likely that, again, the person closest romantically involved with that person is the most likely person to be the killer. It's as simple as as they were leaving this trail area judy mentioned to this person she's having an affair with that she wants to divorce jeffrey and wants to get married to this person and because i think jeffrey was judy's fourth marriage if i read right in some of the research so she's not a stranger to having relationships with people 
having the relationships eventually fail and then moving on to a new person and and it does happen for some people or just i mean some people marry five six seven times in life i'm not judging them for it i'm just saying if a pattern exists it usually repeats itself and so there is a potential that again she fell in love with some patient that she was working for as a home health care aid and maybe this person was married they have this romantic rendezvous while they're going to be hiking out of the forest together she makes some type of a mention about how she wants to divorce jeffrey and maybe this guy's like hey i'm not ready to divorce my wife i just wanted to have some fun this is this is all this is for me she makes some type of a mention about well then i'm going to tell your wife that this happened or whatever it might be the guy freaks out he's looking at paying alimony child support whatever it might be and decides hey nobody else knows she's down here it's a remote location all my problems are solved if i just kill her again it's a stretch i understand but if you can prove that she's down there on a romantic rendezvous then there's a better chance that you can look to those reasons being a killer however if she's down there because of some type of a mental break and is living in her past or living an alternate lifestyle alternate life choice that she would have made not going to the conference of jeffrey and she just happens to be hiking along the trail then maybe it leads more credence to the serial killer gary hilton story because it does make sense what the criminal profiler is saying most people don't wait until they're 60 if they're a sociopathic serial killer they don't all of a sudden turn that way at 60 years old they usually start when they're younger so the fact that that he made his first kill at 60 most people believe that's not the case you only have to go back 10 years in his life to when he was 50 and again he's frequented the area he's familiar with it and he ends up killing another woman and her husband in the roughly the same section of trail and disposes of the woman's body in a very similar fashion a shallow depression type grave so since killers are creatures of habit it's very possible that that's the other option is that she was hiking along the trail runs into a killer and she is killed and again that's all the intrigue in this case is from everything everybody believes she's supposed to be in philadelphia 600 miles away at this conference there's evidence she showed up at the conference but then everything after that morning that she says goodbye to jeffrey is a giant question mark how she ended up in North Carolina and how she ended up being killed is something to this day we still don't know. And sadly, it's possible this case will never be solved because there's no reported physical evidence to link any one suspect to the crime and it'll take a miracle to unravel the truly bizarre circumstances and the crime itself. And I did find in the research the case was reopened in 2016, but according to the research, I couldn't find that any any further progress was made during that investigation but that is the case of judy smith thank you guys for listening stay tuned for future episodes and feel free to write me at trueblucrimeproductions at gmail.com you can also find me at trueblucrimeproductions on facebook and support me via patreon at trueblucrimeproductions so that's it for today guys thanks for listening talk to you later goodbye